And it's just you and me here now. There's no space that his love can't reach. There's no place where we can't find peace. There's no end to amazing grace. Take me with your Oh, 
morning. I think I'm on here. Yeah, I am on there. I am. How are you all? Doing good? Surviving. It is good to see you here this morning. Those of you watching online, we're glad that you've joined us today. Uh, this uh, beautiful fall. It's almost Christmas weather. I don't know if you've noticed that. But uh, in Texas, when you hit to low 90s, it is, it is so weird. Like 92 is such a great temperature here. It's like, oh my gosh, it's fall. <laughs> so for those of you living in Ohio, that sounds like summer weather, but here it's just beautiful. So we're going to have a, uh, you know, the uh, killer bees didn't kill us. The, the Asian bee, that thing that was supposed to kill us, it was that long. So now we're having two hurricanes this week. Congratulations. By the time this year is done, we will have seen and tried everything and survived it. So we are a hardy lot. <laughs> but anyway, it's, uh, it's going to be an adventurous week for sure. But uh, we hope you're having uh, a wonderful start to the school year. It is so weird because I have completely lost track. All of the markers that happen, like end of school year, kids are excited in May. You see them in the malls and different things. All of those things are gone, so it's really weird that the kids are back in school and all. And, and uh, we are praying for you, education, educators, administrators, people who work in uh, dining halls and bus drivers and teachers. We're praying for you as a staff. Every Monday morning we get together and, and we, we lift you up to the Lord. And we want you to know we love you. And, and uh, we have heard from so many of you. And we know that many of you are staying for safety. Some of you are staying until child care starts again because your kids are out of control and de demon-possessed. Um, but uh, we, we miss you. And we're, we want to thank you for staying plugged in with us. Um, it is an exciting time of the year. Lots of things are changing, aren't they, Katie? Yeah. Hey, Dusty, will you turn her mic on, please? Katie, would you grab your microphone, please? Because Katie is about to abandon East Texas. No, she's sick of America. Why don't you, why don't you tell them where you're going in the next few weeks? Um, to the Dominican Republic. Just because you like it there or the weather? or? Um, I'll be doing a study abroad slash mission program. Um, doing online college courses and serving in the community in the Dominican. So it's with Student International, right? Yes. So she's going, it is, it is a really interesting program because it is, when she slashes, she means it. It's a <laughs> mission for two years, right. but slash education. She, you, will, you will get out of there with a bachelor's degree, is that correct? Or? An associate of arts. An associate of arts. So it's uh, for two years she's going to serve the Lord while doing online courses, or do they have courses there? Yeah, online through Crown College. So it is, a, it is a mission training, it's, it's undergrad liberal arts education, so it's an exciting time, and you leave us when? September 13th. September 13th, and how is yes. your mother handling that? She's, she's been very encouraging. I think she's... She wants her house back. Yeah, That's she's she ready wants. for me she to wants go, her house finally. Back. <laughs> so, uh, and your little sister, is she surviving all this? Yeah, she's excited she to have my She wants your clothes. That's right. That's exactly right. Yeah. So anyway, uh, we need to be praying for Katie. And, and you leave again when? September 13th. September 13th. It's in about so it's three two, weeks. Is it two? Okay, so three weeks. And we'll be praying for you. And if, if you want to, how's your support raising going? It's going really well. Okay, I so have. if you want to participate with Katie, you can email her. If you don't have her email address, she's on Facebook? Yes. Or you can email us at the church, and we would be glad to forward your information to her. Um, uh, and so, anyway, we're very excited for you. Thank you. I'm and, excited. And uh, get out of the country, okay? That's okay. All right. So, um, <laughs> but that's exciting. Um, I also want to announce, okay, now look, you need to pay attention now because this is going to confuse some of you. You are going to get, in the next two weeks, an email from the church office. Uh, it's going out to everybody in the, uh, who, who is on our email list because our, our Carpenter's Way app has been updated, uh, and it is significantly improved. 
Um, and what is going to be available on it is a church-wide directory. I know a lot of you have wanted one. We had one a few years ago printed, but this is going to continually be updated. Now, it is only going to Carpenter's Way people. We're not going to open the, the database to people outside or you'll start getting sales call. But if you are a Carpenter's Way, uh, if you attend here regularly and you're in our database, we want you to download that app. If you have and you haven't used it for a while, it is be, this will be, it's automatically being updated. But in there is the church directory, and this email will tell you how to access it. We're going to give you a password, because uh, only password uh, people with the password can get in, and not everybody can get it. We are trying to protect privacy. You understand? This is not going to be used for business. This is going to be used for contact and community. Uh, also, what's cool on this one, too, is as you give on there, uh, there's a new way to give online. We'll be talking about that coming up. But on there, you can actually track your giving for the year so uh, uh, for your family. So it, it is updated. Uh, you can check it out. Again, as you know, you can watch our services on there. Uh, you can watch archived services on there. It, um, a lot of you uh, who are watching right now are watching on Facebook, and, and that, is, that is wonderful, but it's only 70% trustworthy. Our app runs through our streaming service, which is on our web page, which is also what uh, Apple TV and Roku TV channels go through. So all of those are very faithful. They have upgraded their stuff. It's a 4K if you're watching it on your smart uh, TV. Um, so it's a better way to watch. Uh, and I want to remind you, if you're watching on Facebook Live, that um, if it starts getting quirky, sometimes it freezes. Uh, if it gets quirky, you can always jump over to cwbc.org and watch us there. Um, so uh, that's, just, uh, that's just a different way of doing it. And remind you, you can give online through the app uh, at our webpage. Uh, I just, again, I want to thank you for your faithful giving. We have been doing this now for like six months. Forever. It's been forever. Um, and uh, we are meeting, and, and with that, I want to ask you to please be praying for us. We're meeting as an elder body this week, and we will be discussing a process by which, God willing, we can open the church. We um, Thank you for staying with us. There are those of you uh, who are very concerned for your health. We get that. You need to be smart. Uh, as long as we're putting seatbelts on when we get in our car, you should be not feel bad being wise. Just stick with your Bible study. Uh, stick with our study online. Don't let Satan drag you away. Just keep studying with us, and uh, this will normalize in a bit. Uh, and uh, like I said, we're going to be meeting on Wednesday evening as an elder council during the hurricane. And uh, we would ask you to pray for us as we discuss what is our, what's our next step, and we'll let you know. And, and, uh, but again, um, we are here for you if you have needs, if you need encouragement, prayer. For those parents who want to come but struggle because you have young kids, uh, we're, we're talking about a plan for opening up our, our preschool program. Again, that'll be discussed Wednesday night with our elders. Uh, that, is, that is coming. These are all discussions we're having. But uh, I want to encourage you uh, to, you're, you're welcome here. And it doesn't matter if your kids make noise. It, well, I should say it matters to you, but nobody else. There's plenty of room for them to mess around in here with, with our distancing. And we just, we just miss you and love you. Do what you need to do for your family, but stay close to Jesus and let us continue to minister to you. Um, I think that does it for the announcements. Is there anything else? I must have done okay because you didn't start playing underneath me. Whenever you start playing underneath me, I know that I've overspoken my welcome. <laughs> okay, I he just told me I have 30 seconds and he's going to start playing. So let's pray and commit ourselves to the Lord. And again, thank you for being here, those of you in the room, and thank you for watching online, the rest of y'all. Lord Jesus, we do love you, and uh, we're thankful, and as I always say, that we, we're even more thankful that you love us. And 
Uh, Father, I, I pray uh, for all the churches in the area that proclaim your word, Father. Um, boy, everybody's making decisions, and none of them are easy. Some have decided to open wide. We pray you'd protect them from COVID. Uh, Father, some of us are being much more cautious. Lord Jesus, I pray that people would be patient with us. And Lord, we just, we just want to be wise, and, and uh, there are no easy decisions here. And Heaven hasn't opened and spoken. We're just trying to honor you in all ways. And so for your family, which is most important, I pray, pray that this season would be a time of intimacy with you. And for all of our teachers, our educators, our administrators, the parents who are homeschooling, the kids who are in this season, Father, we pray you'd bless them and be with them. And Lord Jesus, we love you, and we're thankful you love us. And now, Father, speak to us. May your Holy Spirit transform us from the inside out. We pray for Katie this morning as she's uh, not only excited, but I'm sure she's kind of nervous about the next few, uh, what, hold, what the next few months hold. We pray you would bless her. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. shelter in you my God and there you give me I praise your great name. 
a sinner now I'm clean once condemned now I'm made free he turned my darkness into light and now I see once in ashes there's beauty once in pieces I'm complete, my Redeemer now resides, He lives in me.
Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. They found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. So they went in, but they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. As they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them, clothed in dazzling robes. The women were terrified and bowed with their faces to the ground. Then the men asked, why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He has risen from the dead. Remember what he told you back in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and that he would rise again on the third day. Then they remembered that he had said this. So they rushed back from the tomb to tell his eleven disciples and everyone else what had happened.
shall soon dissolve like snow. The sun forbear to shine, but God who called me here below will be forever mine, and my chains are gone, I've been set before we get into the word. Father, I thank you for your grace. Um, the truth is we grew up hearing about it, so it's kind of old news to us, and, and, and it doesn't have the impact that it might otherwise have had. To think that you, God, the creator of all, who spoke all of this into existence, would come and die on the cross for us is, is just, uh, it's unbelievable. There's no other religion ever invented by man that has so much mercy and grace that can match the truth of your story. And so we thank you this morning. And Father, as we get close to the end of the story of your ministry and life on earth, I pray, Father, that you would, Lord Jesus, help us to fall more in love with you and be followers of yours and less religious. Lord Jesus, uh, I was reminded as we worshiped this morning from someone that Cassidy, uh, a member of our family and one of our missionaries, is in Haiti right now and with her boy. And Lord Jesus, there's a hurricane over her, and we pray you'd protect her and her son. We pray you would protect the students at the school she works in. And Father God, thank you for uh, how you're going to take care of her, and we thank you for her courage. We pray you'd bless her, and we pray you'd bless us. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. You can be seated. Man, the singing was good. As you start to filter back into the church, I can hear you singing. That is, I have missed that so much. And uh, man, it's uh, and in the, in the coming weeks and months, I, like I said before, there's lots of reasons that some of you feel need to just stay home, and I respect that. I'm not going to dog you for it, but boy, if you can get back here, just let's worship and fellowship and continue to worship our Lord together. And if you're not able to come back in right now, make sure that you stay with our study online as we're going to go right from the study of Jesus right into the study of, of the body of Christ. Um, <clears throat> as we come to the end of the story of Jesus' time here on earth towards the ascension into heaven, we have been obsessing for the last two years almost 
over the life of Jesus from Scripture? That's the question. Who is this man? Even the disciples didn't understand that, and they would ask that on multiple occasions. Well, our next study is going to answer the questions of what do you expect of us now that you've left us here? And of course, he lives within us, the Holy Spirit, and we can pray and talk to him, but we're talking about his, in his physical absence, what is it that he expects of his body, of his family? And that question is clearly answered in the book of Acts. So I'm very excited about that. We will begin that in the next probably four weeks. And uh, so stick with us as we wrap this up. Um, so uh, we find ourselves, for those of you who haven't been with us in our study, we find ourselves this morning at the resurrection. Uh, so we're going to begin in Luke chapter 22, verse 44, to give us a little bit of context, and I want to jump right in. By this time it was about noon, and darkness fell across the whole land until 3 o'clock. The light from the sun is gone. And we talked about this last week as we talked about the crucifixion. And I would encourage you, if you didn't study that with us, to go back. What we're doing in this is trying to put together the story from all four Gospels in as good a timeline as we can, a chronology, uh, uh, an event-by-event thing. And I, I mentioned last week that even creation itself reacted to the crucifixion of Christ. Jesus had said, and it's recorded in Luke, he had told the disciples at one time, if people don't worship, even the rocks themselves will cry out. And during the crucifixion, that seems to happen. You have an earthquake where the dead, the bodies, it appears that the bodies of Old Testament saints begin walking around the streets. You have uh, the sun ceases to shine. It does not say a storm came over. It, it doesn't say that it's an eclipse. It says that the sun ceases to shine. It was uh, the light from the sun was gone. And suddenly a curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn down the middle. The other gospels tell us from top to bottom. It's important because man couldn't have done that. Uh, verse 46, when Jesus shouted, uh, then Jesus shouted, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And with those words, he breathed his last. When the Roman officer overseeing the execution saw what had happened, he worshiped God and he said, surely this was an innocent man. And when all the crowd that came to see the crucifixion saw what had happened, they went home in deep sorrow. But Jesus' friends, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching. Uh, capital punishment, uh, the government putting somebody to death, has always brought about sort of a twisted reaction from massive groups of people. I remember watching uh, a movie recently, Julie and I watched it, about Bonnie and Clyde. And when they were killed in Louisiana, they showed video of the people in the streets trying to rip pieces of their clothes off. After they were shot in the cars, their bodies were put back in the cars and they were, it was towed into the Louisiana town. And as they did, there are hundreds of people surrounding them trying to rip locks of hair of Bonnie off and, and pieces of clothing of Clyde off. Uh, they worshiped these people. And when they had been put executed by the police in Louisiana, um, it is amazing how, how they, they surrounded them and just wanted pieces of them. Even to this day, if you get on the internet, you can see people trying to sell pieces of clothing and hair that were ripped off of them after their death. Well, this was no exception with Jesus. Uh, a huge crowd had gathered to watch this rabbi. This man that everyone, whether Jew or Gentile, had heard, had done some, or seen him do supernatural things. They all gathered to watch him killed. This crowd that moments before had been taunting him to come off the cross to prove that he was God was now, according to Luke, filled with deep sorrow. Some, for sure, were relieved that it was over. Jesus was finally dead. Others, like the women that are referred to throughout the story as the women of Galilee, 
who had courageously watched him murdered, even from a distance. And I want to remind you that while the disciples scattered for the most part, and yes, John is there at the crucifixion site, but the rest of the disciples, the Gospels tell us, scattered, and eventually they gather in the upper room where they had had the Passover meal just a couple days before with Jesus. They're gone, but these women from Galilee stay near Jesus. They watch the crucifixion, and at the time of his death are standing at a distance watching all this. These women who had courageously watched him murdered, uh, their hopes now gone, were now overwhelmed with grief, grief in the death of one of their sons, their friend, and at least one of them who had been saved from demon possession. Verse 50 tells us, Now there was a good and righteous man named Joseph. He was a member of the Jewish high council, but he had not agreed with the decision and action of the other religious leaders. So just to point out the obvious here, not all the Jewish religious leaders were in agreement that Jesus should be killed. He was from the town of Arimathea in Judah, and he was waiting for the kingdom of God to come. Please note how they refer to him as a follower of Jesus. They don't refer to him as a Christian. They don't refer to him as a religious man. They refer to him as a man who was righteous, who, was, who loved God, but was waiting for the kingdom of God. Boy, what a different view of, of a follower of Jesus than we have today. Today when we see a follower of Jesus, we think of somebody who's moral, who may be faithful to their spouse, a person who goes to church. But in the New Testament times, at least in Luke's recording of it, he is a man of faith because he was awaiting the kingdom of God to come. He put his hope there, not here. If that isn't what we learned through our study of Jesus' ministry, over and over, he tells us to seek first his kingdom which is not the tradition of the church in America. The tradition of the church in America is often political power, keeping the government the way we think they should. Even at this time, whether you believe that the government is um, whatever you believe about this pandemic, the truth is that our hope should be first and foremost in the Lord. And this man was reckoned righteous, and as Luke describes him, he describes him as a man who was waiting for the kingdom of God to come. He went to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Then he took the body down from the cross and he wrapped it in a long sheet of linen cloth and he laid it in a tomb that had been carved out of a rock. This was done late on Friday afternoon, the day of preparation, as the Sabbath was about to begin. As his body was taken away, the women from Galilee followed. Again, these are courageous women. Where are the men? Yay for the women. They follow It tells us in another gospel they follow at a distance. They don't even know that these women are following. And they saw the tomb where his body was placed. Why? So that they could go back and anoint his body later. Then they went home and they prepared spices and ointments to anoint his body. But by the time they were finished, the Sabbath had begun, so they rested as required by the law. So let me help you understand, uh, my Western friends, that this is not the, the American clock or the Roman clock or the Western clock. The next day starts not at sunrise, but at sunset. So Jesus was killed on a Friday before the sun sets, and they're doing all of the preparation. They put him in the tomb. Joseph and Nicodemus goes with him. They put his body in the tomb before the sun sets, and they roll a stone in front of it. And these women, when they see where the tomb is, they go, and and some of them buy and prepare the spices to anoint Jesus' body. Embalming was not part of the Jewish tradition. In fact, uh, using uh, very powerful and expensive perfumes, uh, the Jews would anoint the body of a friend or family member with perfumes as a sign of love and respect. And that's what these, uh, and that, uh, these women who loved this man, whether, it was not, whether, he, whether or not, he is who they hoped he would be. So here's the challenge for you this Easter morning. <laughs> that was funny. Um, 
This is a challenge for you. You know this story. But this morning, I want you not to presume what happens next. I want you to think of it. I'm going to try to slow you down, and I'm going to try to make some observations that usually we skip over because they're very important. These women had not left his side from the moment he was sentenced to die except for the Sabbath. And they would not let him, their friend, their rabbi, lay in the tomb in his grave without honoring him with a proper Jewish burial. The next day, Matthew 27, 62 says, on the Sabbath. So now it's Saturday morning. On the Sabbath, the leading priests and Pharisees went to see Pilate. This isn't important because I guess religious leaders were allowed to work on the Sabbath while they demand everybody else not to work on the Sabbath. I want to remind you that when Jesus was being tried, as we looked at two weeks ago, they wouldn't even go into the Gentile court where Pilate reigned for fear of being declared unclean. But something is going on here that has them so freaked out that they don't even keep, this, keep the laws themselves. And you are going to see this throughout this story. The idea that religious leaders, while weighing heavy legalistic laws on you, don't keep them themselves is not a new one. They told uh, Pilate, Sir, we remember what this deceiver said when he was still alive. After three days, I'm going to rise from the dead. Verse 64. So, sir, we request that you seal the tomb until the third day. This will prevent his disciples from coming and stealing his body and telling everyone he was raised from the dead. If that happens, we'll be worse off than we were at first. Again, this isn't new to you. You know that they went to have the tomb sealed, but what may be new to you is the fact that this is kind of crazy because while Jesus' followers and friends are preparing for him to stay in the tomb, those that aren't believers are prepared for him to leave the tomb. I mean, that is going on here. You have the religious leaders, the Jewish religious leaders, afraid that his body's going to disappear, not that he's going to be raised, but that they're going to steal the body. They don't expect his body to stay in, but Jesus' followers expect it to stay in there. And I want to be clear. When they go to Pilate, they actually explain that Jesus said he would rise from the dead, something that his followers, whether it's the women or the disciples, don't seem to be clear on. It is, an, it is a fact that the unbelievers had more faith in the teachings of Jesus than even the non-believers. Pilate replied, Take guards and secure it the best you can. So they sealed the tomb, and they posted guards to protect it. Sealing the tomb, and, and, and as you know, they would roll a heavy rock in front of it. Sealing doesn't mean that they, they wax the whole thing, but across the top they would take some wax, and they would put it on the stone, on a piece of the stone that was covering the grave entrance, and they would put the wax all the way across to the top, like a piece of tape at a crime scene. It was wax. It would be uh, the signal, uh, the insignia of the king would be placed on it. And if somebody had rolled the stone away, that wax would be broken and they would know that somebody had broken into the tomb. The second thing is, though, because they were afraid that these Jews, followers of Jesus, didn't respect Rome or the religious leaders, they actually placed two guards there so that nobody could get in from the outside. There is no way that these two warriors are going to be overpowered by a bunch of wimps who don't even have good aim with a sword in the garden. There's no way. So the guards were put there. Mark 
16, verse 1. Saturday evening, when the Sabbath ended, so it's sunset. So we have Friday night, the Sabbath begins. It goes all the way through Saturday. This is the, that's the second day. The sun is going down. Once the sun leaves the horizon, goes below the horizon, at that point it's Sunday, and that is the third day. They are now freed from the religious law. So on that evening, when the Sabbath had ended, the sun is down, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome went out and purchased more burial spices. I added more in there so that they could anoint Jesus' body. These women that have been with Jesus during his ministry did not believe he would rise. Okay, this is super important. They did not believe he would rise from the dead. They are preparing to anoint his body. Again, just to give you more information on a Jewish burial. The goal of a Jewish burial, even to this day, if you are in an Orthodox Jewish family, by the sundown the next day, if not the same day, they want your body in the ground, and they put holes in the bottom of the casket so that the worms can eat it and take away everything but the bones. In New Testament times, they would leave his body in a tomb like you can picture in your mind, on a, on a uh, wrapped in cloth, on a stone bench, that he would stay for a year, and after a year, after decomposition was done, they would come and take those remains still wrapped in the cloth, and they would gather them together, and they would put them in a small cigar. I can't say the word. I'm not going to try. In a small casket about this big, a stone sarcophagus. <sighs> I'm going back to college. <laughs> they would put his bones in there, and from there they would then take that box and most likely take it back to Nazareth where he would be laid to rest with his father Joseph or near him in a family tomb. He was loaned to this tomb. That's what makes it so significant when they say nobody had been laid in the tomb before because it isn't uncommon to reuse a tomb over and over again because the, stone, the bones would be moved. That was the process. They would anoint it so that you could walk in without being grossed out by the smell. It was an act of respect and love. These women were preparing for his body to stay in the tomb. So they purchased burial spices. They prepared to anoint his body. Their plan was to deal with him as a dead man. Sidebar, just a side note. I want you just for a second to think about how often in Scripture and in your life, God does not let things play out the way you are convinced they will. Whether good or bad. Whether it's for your betterment or your worse. God has a way of doing things that don't meet your expectations. And that isn't new. That's been going on forever. You would think that after a period of time, we would learn to assume, not assume things about God. We would learn to trust Him with all our hearts. That we would learn as His followers to lean not on our own understanding. And these men and women should have known that because Jesus calmed the sea. This whole series was named after a question the disciples asked themselves when they wake Jesus up in the back of the boat who's sleeping, or in the front of the boat who's sleeping, and their boat is starting to sink, and they wake him up and they ask him, don't you care we're going to drown? And Jesus says, just looks at him, and then he looks at the sea and says, be still, and it calmed down. And they all fall on top of each other asking the question, who is this man that even the sea and the waves and the wind obey him? You would think after that happening over and over, after raising Lazarus from the dead, you would think that they would stop assuming that they know how things are going to play out, but they don't just like us. 
Matthew 28, verse 1. So it was very early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning. So it's before sunrise. On that Sunday that we celebrate Easter on, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. Apparently, as they're walking, suddenly there's a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord came down and rolled aside the stone and sat on it. His face shone like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. And the guards, please take note, he's not describing what happened to the women here. They're not there yet. But before the women get there, the guards shake with fear. They wet themselves. That's Mark's version of the Bible. It's not in here. But when they saw him, if you want to know how terrorizing this was, it says that they fall into a dead faint. These guys who are protecting the tomb, these men who are prepared for battle, these men who are there for the sole purpose of not letting anybody else in that tomb actually see angels, hear an earthquake, and what they see sends them into a dead faint. Luke 24, verse 1. Very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb. They took spices that they had prepared. Why do they take the spices? Because they expect him to be dead. They found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. So they went in, but they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. As they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them, clothed in dazzling robes. The women were terrified, and they bowed with their faces to the ground. Then the men asked, why are you looking among the dead for someone who's alive? Just a a side note here, I wonder where those soldiers are. Are they still unconscious in the bushes? Have they run to town? Where are they? They're not anywhere around. The angel asked them, why are you looking among the dead for somebody who's alive? He isn't here. He's risen from the dead. Remember what he told you back in Galilee, you silly, silly woman? I added that. That the Son of Man must be portrayed into the hands of sinful men and crucified, and that he would rise again on the third day? When he said this, they remembered it. Oh, yeah. I want to refer you back to the Jewish religious leaders who remembered what Jesus said and were afraid that something like that would happen. These people completely forgot what Jesus said, completely ignored it, and it took two angels to remind them. But pay attention because I'm going to show you in a moment what they were thinking after they talked to the angels. They remembered he had said this, verse 9, so they rushed back from the tomb to tell his 11 disciples and everybody else what had happened. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, mother of James, and several other women who had told the apostles what had happened. But the story sounded like nonsense to the men, so they didn't believe it. I want to remind you that Jesus had told them on multiple occasions that he must be arrested, killed, and raised again on the third day. But they don't believe him because it doesn't make sense. They had seen him die, and it doesn't make logical sense that dead men come back to life. The only people who believe at this time, which is one of the most powerful evidences for the resurrection, is the only people that believe something like this is going to happen are the Romans and the Jewish religious leaders, the unbelievers. The unbelievers are the only ones who believe. How crazy is that? To be clear, we think often when this is taught that they believe when he rose and they talk to the angels that they're immediately convinced he's alive. And yet John chapter 20 verse 2 gives us insight as to what was told to the disciples when they run there. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciples. So while some of them run and tell the disciples and others, we have Mary who runs and tells Simon people, the, uh, Peter and the other disciple the one whom Jesus loved, that's John. She said, now listen to what she believes after talking to two angels. 
they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb and we don't know where they put him. This is super important for you this morning. It's wonderful teaching this not on Easter because we can slow our brains down and look. I want to remind you that even after the supernatural angels who glow, and even after the no presence of Roman guards, and even after hearing that Jesus has been raised, just like he said, and even being reminded that he said this would happen, they still don't believe it. Evidence. The eyewitnesses that we read the story of the resurrection from tell you that they didn't believe it. There is not one document of, Ma of Near Eastern historical documents where the author writes himself in a negative light like this. That is one of the most powerful evidence that the Bible can be trusted. If you were going to write an autobiography about a rabbi you were following or a person you were following in your relationship with them, you would never write about yourself having figured it out. You would do what everybody does about every president when they get kicked out of his, uh, of his presence. You would write a book how you knew he was a cat all along. But that's not what these stories tell us. They are doubling down on not believing. And I, I just really, really, really think it's important for us to wrap around our, our, our minds around this fact. Yay for the women for staying near Jesus. Yay for their courage. Thank you. Good job, ladies. Boo for the men for hiding. Boo for you. But at the end, none of them believed Jesus. Even the most faithful were doubting. And I want to remind you that even when you do, though, and maybe you are right now, maybe because you can't imagine how this all works out for you, whatever your circumstances are, it's okay to doubt. Just stay close to Jesus. He'll fix it anyway. Just trust him. Trust him in the untrustable. Be a fool. Put your hope in him. John 20, verse 3. Peter and the other disciple, which is John, started out for the tomb. They were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. I, I love this. This is a little bit hilarious. We always talk about it. John and Peter seem to have competition, we think, from this, because he says he reached the tomb first. I'm not so sure, because it tells us in verse 5 that he stooped and looked in, John. John stooped when he got there first and looked in, and he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. That is not actually a show of heroism. Okay, so why am I saying this? Let me step back. Oftentimes, we think John and Peter compete, and, and there are certainly, they must have been very close, and there are certainly times where you see them conflicting some, and maybe you see that by John saying that I beat him to the tomb in a race, but John immediately says right after that that he doesn't go in the tomb. It's Peter, he says, Simon Peter arrives, and he went in. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there, while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. Then the disciple who had reached the term first, tomb first, that's John, also went in and he saw he believed. Why didn't he go in? We don't know. But it may very well have been that John did not want to defile himself by going into a dead man's tomb. It may have been his religion. But John doesn't actually write himself in a good light. He's just faster than Peter. I guess that's good, but that's not even the point. The point is that they're both there. They're both shocked. They go in. The disciple who had reached the tomb first went, uh, uh, also goes in. When Peter yells out, you're not going to believe this, uh, John. You've got to come in and see this. So he goes in. For until that point, they still hadn't understood the scriptures that says Jesus must rise from the dead. In other words, they didn't believe. Verse 10. Then they went home. I guess they were hungry or they needed a Coke or coffee was done. I don't know, they, they, didn't, they didn't do anything, they just went home, believing. There's a lot going on. 
But can't you see the cautious John looking in while the manic Peter goes right into the tomb with no concern for cleanliness? Just emotions running high as he runs in and screams out to John what he finds. And John is instantly jumps in and he's reminded of the promise. I'm so thankful for the detail of eyewitness testimony that tells them of their failings as well as their successes. We tend to only look at Jesus in the scriptures, and of course, he's central, but brothers and sisters who grew up in the church, children of God, please take time to look at those around Jesus as well, because I think you'll find it very, very encouraging. I think you're going to find that we're just like them. It's important when we get into Acts to notice how some of the faithful and unfaithful are churched. To what God does through them, through the power of the Holy Spirit, through stubborn, rebellious believers. I think you'll find great hope in that. So Peter and John go home. John 20 tells us, verse 11, that Mary was standing outside of the tomb crying, and as she wept, she stooped and looked in. Apparently, Mary had followed Peter and John to the tomb. She wasn't running. She gets there. I don't know if she got there before they left. There's no, there's no scripture that tells us they talked. So maybe she got there after they left, but she is outside of the tomb crying. And she finds herself alone there when, for whatever reason, she looks in. Verse 12, she saw two white-robed angels. Please notice they were not there when Peter and John were there. God is being very specific. One is sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where Jesus' body had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Because they've taken away my Lord, she replied. And I don't know where they put him. <laughs> Unbelief. Unfreaking belief. That's what it looks like. Okay, we've met two angels. This isn't the first time. The story's spreading. She goes there. Peter and John do their thing. They go home, and she's still crying because the body of her rabbi's gone. She doesn't even fathom that he may be raised from the dead. Still not believing he's risen, she turns, verse 14 says, to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her. What are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you've taken him away, please tell me where you put him and I'll go get him. Still, after the angels, again, this is the second time probably that she's interacted with angels. After the second time, at least once, she still doesn't believe he's risen. What's it going to take? Jesus answers that. Mary. Mary, Jesus says. And she turned to him and cried out, Rabbi, which is Hebrew for teacher. Don't cling to me, Jesus says, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father, but go find my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Oh, this is so cool, you guys. Most of us grew up under the King James Version Bible, fine. But in the King James Version, it says, don't touch me, I haven't yet ascended to my Father. You remember that? And so there was a lot of debate in the church over, well, what does it mean? It was Jesus not clean? He hadn't gone to the Father who cleaned him yet. That doesn't make any sense, okay? That makes no logical sense. And actually, the more modern versions do a better job of translating what the, what the Greek actually says. The Greek actually says, stop holding on to me. Don't cling to me, like the New Living says. The NIV says something similar. She is, she is overwhelmed. This is the woman 
that, that was demon-possessed. Seven demons at least are cast out of her, and there's a whole other story we don't know about. This is the woman that Jesus had redeemed. This is the woman that followed along with the disciples for three and a half years in his ministry. This woman loved Jesus. He was her Savior in every sense of the word. And when she sees him, she does what any woman would do. She grabs him, and she's holding on to him, and she says, you're going to have to let me go. You're going to have to let me go because i got to go to my father. It had nothing to do with him being unclean. It was about her clinging on. He's giggling. He's laughing. He's loving her. Oh, Mary, Mary, it's okay. I'm alive. It's not just angel's word. There's not just a, a stone missing. Mary, I'm alive. Look for yourself, Mary. But you're going to have to let me go, honey, because I've, there's two things that have to happen. Number one, I've got work to do in the heavenlies. I've got to go be with my father and your father, so you're going to have to let me go. You can't cling on to me. And second, I've got a mission for you, sweetheart. You've got to go tell everybody you've seen me. You see, up to this point, nobody'd seen Jesus. They'd heard he was resurrected. They'd seen the empty tomb. They were afraid that his body would be stolen. But this is the first time anybody sees Jesus. And I love this. I love this because, to be clear, and I want to say this as clearly as I can, especially to my dear friend John McCarthy, who I love, and I respect, but who was wrong on Beth Moore? If the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news is centered on Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, then the first gospel proclaimer was not only a woman, but a woman whose story was involved in demon possession. A lowlife that nobody would believe. God chose her. He could have sent the angels and met with John and Peter there, but he chose not to. He chose this woman. The ministry of God, the gospel is not a male ministry. It's, a, it's not a pastoral ministry. It's not an apostolic ministry. It is a lost person, a demon-possessed person, a sinful person who is no longer sinful, lost, or demon-possessed, telling the story to anybody and everybody that God brings them in contact to, that you are alive because he's alive, that you are hopeful because of him, because you are saved because he's the Savior. That's the gospel ministry. It's different than being a pastor. And frankly, it's time for the church to embrace the gospel message from anybody and everybody that God has changed. What an incredible story. With all of the disciples, this is, this is just something I thought about this week. While all of the disciples are going to be saved, Mary, who stuck with Jesus faithfully even when she was doubting, has the privilege to proclaim the gospel first. Look, there is this, there's a lackadaisical attitude in Christendom today where I'm forgiven, so I'm, I'm just going to kind of work it out in my life, and, and, and I'm, gonna, I'm not going to take sin seriously and all. Let me tell you something. Faithfulness to God, um, a lack of faithfulness to God, a lack of trust in God doesn't remove heaven from you. But boy, what a blessing she got because she remained close. She had earned the right to be the first. Stay close, even if you can't see it, even if you doubt. Stay close. Put your faith in Jesus, not in your expectations. Not even in your expectations of what Jesus means for his second coming. I am, I am sure, so many of you, I have people email me all the time. You are confident in what you believe about the return of Christ. Good for you, good for me. But if God chooses to do it a different way, be okay with his way. He doesn't, 
either lay out all the minutia detail or he keeps us blind. Look at these people. The only people in the story who believed that his body wouldn't be in the tomb were unbelievers. And they believed in the words of Jesus as told to the disciples. Trust in Jesus. Like a fool. With reckless abandon. Trust in Jesus. Even if you don't know how this is going to make its way through. Matthew 28, verse 11. As the women were on their way, some of the guards went to the city and told the leading priests what had happened. A meeting with the elders was called, and they decided to give the soldiers a large bribe. They told the soldiers, you need to say Jesus' disciples came during the night while he was sleeping, and they stole the body. I want to remind you what these soldiers told the Jewish leaders. And I want to tell you why they go to the Jewish leaders who were not their bosses instead of the Roman bosses. Because if these Roman soldiers go to the Roman bosses, the centurion, the leadership, they're going to be killed because they allowed their prisoner who was dead to escape. It's their life on the line. So they don't want to go to, to Pilate or Rome. They want to go to the religious leaders who have the same problem. So they go to the religious leaders. And the religious leaders who don't seem to not only care about the religious, the Ten Commandments, as it relates to Sabbath rules, as it relates to trial or murder rules, and now about lying, the Ninth Commandment, don't bear false witness, pays them large amounts of money to bear false witness. And at the end of this, he says, if the governors hear about it, we'll stand up for you so you won't get in trouble either. So the guards accepted the bribe and they said what they were told to say. Their story spread widely among the Jews, and they still tell it to this day. They had lied to agree, or agreed to lie. That was backwards. I'm dyslexic in communication. They had agreed to lie that Jesus hadn't resurrected. Why? Because they knew his body hadn't been stolen. They met the angels. And while I can't tell you what the high priest and the religious leaders were thinking this day, I can assure you that the Roman soldiers thought something supernatural had happened. They were the only ones who believed. So Mary runs and finds the faithful followers of Jesus, Mark 16 tells us. She went to the disciples, and it's just an interesting side note here that the Greek word uh, here in this verse is referring to the many disciples of Jesus, not just the 11, the many followers. So she went to the disciples who were grieving and weeping and she told them what had happened. And when she told them that Jesus was alive uh, and she had seen him personally, they didn't believe her. We are a funny family, aren't we? Jesus had said he'd rise. The women had all been in the tomb and heard from four angels now or two different occasions. The disciples have heard the bodies are missing, but they won't believe that Jesus rose like he said. Why would she make that up? She must have been so frustrated. How could they not believe her? Luke 24, verse 13. That same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, and I want you to pay special attention to this because this is going to tell you what they all were thinking. Ready? Now you're going to know. You are going to know once and for all what all of the followers of Jesus were thinking on the third day of his death. That same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. But God kept them from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? They stopped. Sadness was written all over their faces. Then one of them, Cleopas, he replied, 
You must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened these past few days. What things, Jesus asks? The things that have happened to Jesus, that man from Nazareth. He was a prophet who did wonderful miracles, and he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. You're still wondering, for those of you who've been watching this series with us and wondering who the Jesus of the Scriptures is, you just heard it from these two people who think that their Savior's dead. They believe that Jesus was a good man, he had done supernatural things, only he was killed. So if you are wondering who Jesus said he was, he claimed to be a miracle, a mighty teacher, had been sent from God. Verse 20. But our leading priests and the other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. What it, we had hoped, pay attention to this line, we had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. What's he say? It's been a bad few days. We had put all of our hope in this man as the Messiah, and now he's dead. You realize what they're saying is we're disappointed, right? And that's what they're saying. We had hoped, but he's not. This all happened three days ago. Verse 22, Then some women from our group of his followers were at his tomb early this morning, and they came back with an amazing report. They said that the body was missing, and they had seen angels who had told them Jesus is alive. Some of our men ran to see, and sure enough, his body was gone, just as the women had said. Please take note that after all the reports, these two men still don't believe. They still don't believe. What does it take for believers to believe? That's the point I want to make this morning. You know the story of the resurrection. But my question for us this morning is, what's it take for us to believe what we believe? The only people who believe are not believers. This is uh, crazy. Verse 25. Then Jesus said to them, you foolish people. You find it so hard to believe all that the prophets told, wrote in scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all of the scriptures the things concerning himself. And by this time they were nearing Emmaus, and at the end of their journey, and Jesus acted as if he was going on. But they begged him, stay the night with us. It's getting late. So he went home with them, and as they sat to eat, he took the bread and he blessed it. Then he broke it and he gave it to them. It was then that suddenly their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. (gasps) It's Jesus. And immediately he disappeared. I think, okay, i got to tell you something. I think now that the work is done, Jesus is having so much fun with this. They're not going to hell. He saved them. The work is done. I think he's having a blast. He's picking and choosing based upon what he wants to do. And he talks to these men and he teaches them the scriptures. Please notice, within their context, please notice that that's what Jesus taught them to help them understand what had happened. Within their context. And he ends it by going, it's me. I love it. This is so cool. It's such a great story. At that moment, at that second, he disappeared. Verse 32, they said to each other, it was him. Didn't our hearts burn within us as as, as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? And within the hour, they were on their way back to Jerusalem. There they found the 11 disciples and the others. So they're all gathering now, talking about their day, who had gathered with them. Who has said, the Lord really is risen. He appeared to Peter. Um, Pause. So often we teach or we hear taught that Jesus' first encounter with Peter 
was at the river or at the side of the sea when he makes breakfast. And Jesus says, do you love me? Oh, I love you. Then feed my sheep. Remember that? We're going to look at that next week's text. That's what we're going to do. Um, did, did you catch what? I, I didn't read it well. I'm going to go back to 32 because I want to read it better. These two men on the road to Emmaus said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us as, we talked, as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? And within the hour they were on their way back to Jerusalem where they found the other 11 uh, disciples and the others who had gathered with them who said, the Lord really is risen. He appeared to Peter. There was a conversation that only Peter and Jesus know about. Wonder what they talked about. Peter's denial, God's forgiveness, we'll never know. It was between Jesus and Peter. He didn't need a priest. You don't need a priest. It's just you and Jesus. Jesus has now been seen alive by three different groups of doubters. Mary the, uh, and the women from Galilee, Peter, and these two men on the road to, road to Emmaus. Verse 35 tells us that the two from Emmaus told their story of how Jesus had appeared to them as they were walking along the road and how they had recognized him as he was, uh, as he was breaking the bread. And just as they were telling him about it, Jesus himself was suddenly standing there in the room that, at that moment. I'm telling you, I think Jesus is having a blast. Jesus, the human, is having fun with the divine part. Peace be with you, he said. But the whole group was startled and frightened, thinking they were seeing a ghost. Yep, thank you those of you who just laughed. What's it going to take for them to believe Jesus is alive? They just said they believe Jesus is alive. But when he stands in front of them, they think they're seeing a ghost. By the way, if Jesus ever comes into your room and he says, peace, that's only because there's something really terrifying going on. Why are you frightened, Jesus asked him in verse 38. Why are your hearts filled with so much doubt? One of the other gospels says that he kind of rebuked him. Look at my hands. Look at my feet. You can see that it's really me. Touch me and make sure I'm not a ghost because ghosts don't have bodies, as you see that I do. And as he spoke, he showed them his hands and his feet. Still, they stood there in disbelief, but filled with joy and wonder. Then he asked them, do you have anything to eat here? Dying and raising is hungry work. And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he ate it just as they watched. And that's why he ate it. He wasn't hungry. He, he's just proving in every way that he's human. He's alive. John 20, 24, one of the 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. And they told him, we've seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them, and place my hand in the wound in his side. Why are we like this? Why are we like this? Why do we believe it's all a conspiracy? Maybe we could just put our hope in the Lord and let everything else fall by the wayside. Eight days later, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked. gives you a state of mind. They're still afraid. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. Then he looked at Thomas right away. 
And he says, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand in the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. Jesus knew exactly what Thomas had said. Be careful of saying things in private. Jesus is, it has a better recording system than Siri. Uh, I said Siri, and Siri came up, so go to sleep, Siri. That's kind of scary. God, I love this story. Isn't this a great story, you guys? They're just like us. Put your finger here. Put your hand here. Don't be faithless. Believe. Thomas exclaimed, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Thomas, you believe because you've seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. That's us. It's hard. It's hard. We watch our spiritual leaders fall, not even seem to caring what they ask of us. We, we, we watch each other doubt. We pray about pandemics and they don't go away. We wish that faith healers were telling the truth, but they never seem to accomplish what they claim. And sometimes you just want to go, is this all foolish? And then you go, no. It all may be foolish, but Jesus is not. It's all about Jesus. It's not about Christianity, you guys. It's not about Christendom. It's about Jesus. And even if you are a conspiracy theorist, and even if all of those things are true, it's still all about Jesus, and that's okay. Put your hope in Him. He's the only one you could put your hope in. But I don't see Him working. Neither did they. And when they did see Him working, and He sent angels... And even when he showed up in the room, they still didn't believe. But he still saved them. Put your hope in the Lord. Not just in what you know, but what you don't know. If you're putting your hope in not taking the mark of the beast, and you're obsessed over watching the news to discover what it is, your eyes are not on Jesus. It's on the wrong thing. Put your eyes on Jesus. And a faithful answer could be, I have no idea how he's going to fix this, but I do know he can be trusted. In fact, it seems to me that when we get the end of ourselves is when we really start to begin to trust. Blessed are those who believe without seeing. Will you believe without seeing or do you need to see? I want you to think about how dark those few days were for all that were following him. They had been convinced he was God. They had given up their fishing business, some of them. Matthew had given up being a tax collector. Many of them had left their families to follow Jesus, and now he's dead. Talking about what do I do next? It was not merely dark because they lost a friend. But they had actually lost all their hope in the dreams for the future as well. They thought he was Messiah until he died, and that was a game changer. But Jesus and his upside-down kingdom demands that we do not trust our feelings, our eyes, our doubts, that we don't even trust our own experiences unless we can compare them with Scripture. Because Scripture is the plumb line with which we measure our experiences. 
If they would have studied the scriptures as much as they studied his death and their feelings about it, they would have known that something amazing was going to take place very soon. Even if they didn't believe in the resurrection. But as we learned from the two men on the way to Emmaus, they believed it was over. We thought he was the Messiah sent to us from God. We still miss him even if he's not. We still loved him. What a ride. But he was. He was the Savior. I actually want to conclude this morning's message with a totally different angle than we're used to. Would you put Proverbs up there again, please? Trust in the Lord with some of your heart and don't depend just on your understanding. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Trust Him not just in what you see, but especially in what you don't see. Trust Him not in what your pastor taught you about the return of Christ. Trust Him in what you don't know about the return of Christ. With all your heart. And don't lean on your own understanding. The answer of most evangelical Christians today is to study deeper as if they find the secret truths of Scripture, then I can trust God. I got news for you. The more you study, and you should continue studying, the more you want to study. Because the more you realize you don't know. The more you know, the more you realize you don't know. And then you realize you don't know much. And then you realize you really don't know much. And then you're asked to preach, and you have to convince them that you know something, which you really don't know, but you're doing the best you can to tell them to trust in Jesus because you realize that if they see you on Tuesday, they're going to find out you're not much of a believer. That was Chad. He wrote that out for me. But we're all in this together, and we haven't changed since here. We're looking at the disciples, and we're looking at Jesus, who... I spit. He thinks he's a ghost. They can't even believe their eyes, but he doesn't say, you are going to hell. He says, touch me. Give me something to eat. I hate broiled fish. I can hardly wait till we start Texas and deep fry food. He ate it so they believed. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Verse 6, seek his will in all you do and he'll show you which path to take. Verse 7, Don't be impressed with your own wisdom. I got it figured out. I finally know about the return of Christ. You don't know diddly. And it's there for that reason. I figured Daniel and Revelation out. No, you think you figured it out. And it's okay. Have fun with it. But don't stake your eternity on your own wisdom. How many times does God have to show us, you don't have a clue? Well, why don't you just explain it? We all want a roadmap. But if he gave us a roadmap, we wouldn't need to trust. And maybe God's passion is for us to trust in him. Maybe more than knowing, he wants us to trust. Don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Instead, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. And what will the result be? Why? Because you're not holding on too tight. Just read it. It's on your screen. It's in your living room. It's in the worship center. It's in the scriptures. Then you'll have healing for your body and strength for your bones. How do I find peace in the time of a pandemic? By putting your hope in God. How do I find peace when I'm scared about my job? Putting your hope in the Lord. How do I find peace with my diagnosis of cancer? By putting your hope in the Lord. Because even if you die of that diagnosis, you still live. When your hope is in the Lord, there's no end to your hope. I just need a sign. How much sign do you need? Do you need Jesus to walk in the room and make you touch the scars and eat fish in front of you? 
Thomas, you believe because you saw, but blessed are those who believe and have not seen. Pastor, how can I do that? How do I know what he says? 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is inspired by God and useful to teach us what's true. And I'm not talking about the daily bread, and I'm not talking about a little devotional, I'm talking about getting into the scriptures for yourself. Because you want truth. We've turned this uh, thing into an easy to apply thing, but this is a relationships, and if those of you who are married can tell those of you who are not, relationships are complicated. Careful what you wish for, right? Except for me, I have a perfect marriage. Because Julie's married to me. <laughs> Sorry, that was funnier in my head. Know God from his word. 2021 will be on us before we know it, and in 2021... I'm going to encourage us to read through the Bible again in one year through the Bible Project again. I'm just doing it in January because it gives us time to get over COVID and we can stop talking about it by then. Thank the Lord. What if it doesn't end? We can still read the Bible together. Would you start praying about joining me? And yes, Leviticus is in there and Deuteronomy and Chronicles and First and Second Samuel. <clears throat> and the point is, the law is tedious. And you can't keep it. And the Jews didn't keep it, so he sent a Savior. Let's do it together. Let's get to know God together. The Old Testament, the New Testament. Let's study what he says and let's trust him. It's hard. You're going to find out on Acts. And for those of you who have never really read Acts for what it says, Acts isn't about speaking in tongues and miracles. It's about God working in the lives of ordinary, foolish, silly people like East Texans like us. His power. Brothers and sisters, what an adventure we're going to have. Blessed are those who have seen and believe. Actually, you believe, Thomas, because you've seen, but blessed are those who haven't seen and still believe. Do you believe without seeing? Lord Jesus, help us to believe without seeing, not just in the resurrection, but in our life, with our jobs, with our families, with our children and our grandchildren, with this country. Help us to believe, even if we can't see what you're doing. Help us to trust. Because even for us, it may be dark and confusing today, but Sunday's coming. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Have a wonderful Sunday, everybody. Be safe this week.